Well, good morning. Before we get started this morning, I want to make a couple of clarifications about the family ministry conference. The first one is the word conference. I don't know about you, but when I hear that word, I automatically think boring. <laughs> when I was in, uh, at the hospital, we went to conferences, and they weren't always the most exciting things that we spent our time doing. And so I want to clarify for you that when we talk about what we're going to do this weekend, that it is going to be very interactive, okay? We're not, you're not going to come to hear a series of sermons. You're going to come to hear and think and discuss and really process with each other some of the truths that we'll look at with each other. So I want you to, to understand that, that this is going to be very interactive and we want you to be a part of that. The other clarification that I would make is that it's a family ministry conference. And I want you to understand that we use that term broadly in the sense that family could mean mom, dad, and kids, and that would be true. There are truths that apply to that context. But really, we're talking about discipleship, which can occur in the family. It can occur with older and younger, man or woman. It can occur in a broad spectrum of, of context, which includes the nuclear family, but much more involved in who we are as a church family. And so we want you to know that the application should, as Jason said, extend all the way from our senior saints to our young kids because there will be something for all of us. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of this because it's been really the culmination of really a year's worth of work um, to come and, and condense it down into two and a third days. Uh, and, and so that's not going to be easy to do. But when I was in college and doing Young Life, we used to make a promise to uh, kids who signed up to go to Young Life camp. We'd say, we promise you it will be the greatest weekend of your life or we'll give your money back. And we never had to give anybody's money back because it was a great time. Well, the conference is free, so I can't make that promise to you. But what I can say is that I feel certain that you will walk away with something that is significantly important to your life, the life of your family, and the life of the relationships that you have throughout this church. I promise you that's true. And so I encourage you to come and see what that might be and uh, take some time to be with us this weekend. So with that being said, let's... Uh, Consider what our passage has to say this morning, picking up in uh, 1 Corinthians. But, but as I do that, I want to uh, take some time. Matt Wade, I hate to put you on the spot like this, but uh, I need to ask you a question. Is that all right? All right. My question is this. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Okay. Okay. Well, you're an attorney, so I know you're really perspective. Uh, you know, really perceptive, so I, I wondered if you would really know what was on my mind, and if I were to ask anybody that question, are you thinking what I'm thinking, there might be some suggestions, right, about what I might be thinking, right? I might be thinking about my sermon, because that's what I'm up here to do. Some of you are thinking, I hope that's what he's thinking about, right? Some of you might suggest, well, maybe he's hungry, and so he's thinking about what he's going to have for lunch, all right? Or I just talked about the family conference, and I keep mentioning it, so maybe that's what's on his mind. Those are all good suggestions, by the way. But the reality is, you only know what I'm thinking if I tell you what I'm thinking. Anything else is your best guess. <laughs> now, I know a lot of us watch these crime shows on TV, right? And we like them because of how these detectives get into the mind of these criminals, right? And they can predict what move they're going to make next, and, and it's real exciting to see that unfold because they're rarely wrong, right? 
But that's not how it works in the real world, is it? It just doesn't work that way. We can make an assumption about what's on someone's mind. We can look at the, the pattern of their decisions. We might read their body language. We could tell whether they're sad or excited. We might even read their journal to give an idea, get an idea of, of what's on their mind. But the fact of the matter is, the only way you know what someone is thinking is if that person tells you what's on their mind. Which brings me to the point of our passage this morning. And it is this. How do you know what's on God's mind? Have you thought about that? How do you know what's on God's mind? Even more, how do you know what's on God's mind for you? Now, in a church like this, I would expect for you guys to hear that question and say, well, we have God's word, and so we know what's on God's heart because of what's revealed in his word. And that's a true statement. It's kind of like reading someone's diary. You get a chance to see what's on their heart. But my question is this. What's on God's heart for you, David Boring, in this season of your marriage and family? And all of you, individually, what's on God's mind for you specifically during this season of your life? Is it even possible to grasp that? Do we really know what that is? Well, I think Paul is going to address that very issue in our passage this morning, and I think you're going to find an answer to that question. And it may be surprising to you. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is a good question, and one that I hope every single one of us in this room considers personally. Can we know what's on your mind for us specifically in this season of our life that's somehow connected to your purpose in our life and your plan for the world? That's an amazing thought, but is it true? Lord, as we look at your word this morning, will you reveal that answer to us? Will you walk us through what your heart is and, and how that's revealed in this passage this morning? We want to hear from you. We want to know what's on your mind. And, and we specifically want to know what's on your mind for us individually, for where we are right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 10 with me. We're going to pick up where we left off last. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so... The thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, as we begin this passage, it's important for us to understand how Paul speaks to things that he's already referenced in the previous verses, things that we looked at together last week. Because what God has revealed, according to what he's saying in verse 10, are the things that he has predestined before the ages to our glory, like we looked at in verse 7 last week. These are the things that have been made possible because of who Christ is and what he came to do. Paul's point here 
is that the Spirit is the only one who can reveal all that God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, if you want to know what's on God's mind, if you want to understand what is on His mind specifically for you, then you have to learn it through the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 10, For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, it's important to remember that that Paul is speaking to a people who are wanting to grow in their understanding of how to navigate life. I really believe that these are people in that Corinthian church who want to make wise decisions. They want to develop a, a skill for living. The question is, where do they go for the answers? Who will they depend on to to teach them? Because if you want to align your life with, with God's will, if you want to know how God's truth applies to you, if you want to know what's on His mind specifically for you, then the Spirit is the only one who can reveal that to you. And then Paul goes on to give us an illustration. And it's an important illustration because it helps to clarify his point. He says in verse 11, For who among you can know the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him? In other words, the only person who knows what you're thinking is you. That's the only one. No one can know what is on your mind unless you are willing to reveal it. Because your thoughts are a part of your being. They coexist in such a way that that one cannot be separated from the other. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of wish that were not the case. There are plenty of times that I would like to separate myself from the thoughts in my mind, right? Treat them almost like a a pet, like a pet dog, right? Okay, thoughts, I'm going to go into the other room. And I want you to stay right here. Because I don't want to think about you right now. And so... You stay here, and I'm, does that work for anybody? No, it doesn't work, because your thoughts are a part of who you are. The two can't be separated. Having made that point, Paul then says, and the very same thing is true for God. The Spirit of God is the only way to understand the mind of God. Because the Spirit of God, is the only one who reveals the the thoughts of God. And that's because the Spirit of God is a part of the very being of God. And just like us, those thoughts cannot be separated from who He is. And so the presence of the Spirit necessitates the very presence of God. Ever thought about that? And, And how significant that concept is for our lives? Look again at uh, verse 12, and let's see how he continues to develop this very important truth. He says in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. 
But a natural man does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The first thing I want you to recognize in this passage is that the Spirit of God is a gift, not a right. It's a privilege, a gift given to those who have trusted in the testimony of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit resides in those who have a personal understanding of who Christ is and what He came to do for them. And Paul wants his reader to know that the the Spirit of God is distinctly different from the Spirit of the world. And the reason that's important is because of what he just said. Since the Spirit of the world is separate and apart from who God is, then any attempt to use worldly wisdom to understand the mind of God would be at its best a guessing game. It would be like someone separate and apart from me coming up and saying, I know exactly what's on your mind. No, you don't. You don't know what's on my mind unless I tell you what's on my mind. See, it's real easy for us to try and understand the mind of God through the use of worldly wisdom. And Paul wants us to understand that that's not possible. Because only the Spirit knows the very depths of God. Only the Spirit understands the thoughts of God. But here's something that's even more ridiculous than trying to use worldly wisdom to understand the mind of God. It's the one who's been given the Spirit of God but yet still relies on the wisdom of the world to understand spiritual truths. That's like me walking up to Randa and saying, Randa, can you tell me what's on Mark's mind? And while you're at it, tell me a little bit about how he and Bonnie first met and how they've been so faithful to each other through all these years. Can you go ahead and enlighten me with that information? No? See, that doesn't make any sense, does it? If I want to know what's on Mark's mind... I need to go ask Mark. If I want to know what's significant in his life and in his relationship with Bonnie and his family, I need to ask Mark. You see, God wants you to know him. But he wants you to understand how that information comes directly from him. Verse 12 explains that the gift of the Spirit was given so that we may know the things Freely given to us by God, personally, Himself. God wants you to know what's on His heart. He wants you to understand His ways. He wants you to experience all that He has prepared for those who love Him. God gave me His Spirit so that I might know and understand who He is and how His truth applies to my life. And God gave you that same spirit so that you might know who he is and how his truths apply to your life. Now, as I say that, I want to make sure we're careful. Because on one hand, I do believe that God uses experiences that are happening in our life to speak specifically to us about things he wants us to understand. For example, I learn about God's forgiveness, when 
I am working through a broken relationship in my life. Because the world's wisdom says, give people what they deserve. And until they earn your forgiveness, you don't give it. But God's Spirit tells me that you give people forgiveness even when they don't deserve it. You give people forgiveness without expecting something in return. God teaches me to live out kingdom values as I live in this world. But on the other hand, it's equally important for us to understand that that what I'm learning is never isolated outside of the context of biblical community. I do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it exists within the context of the body of Christ. Learning from God is not an independent study. It's a classroom experience. In fact, if you were to do a study on the false religions that exist, specifically those that claim to be connected to Christianity, what you're going to find every time, go look at it, you're going to find a single person who received a new revelation to which they personally interpreted and then applied universally to the church at large. Every time. And all it did was create division. I want you to get, look again. Look at verses 12 and 13. Notice that the pronouns are plural. He says, We have received the one Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. See, I think this is one of the key issues uh, being addressed by Paul in the Corinthian church. As these influential leaders began to distinguish themselves from other teachers by coming up with their own distinctive interpretation of what God has on his mind. And then the next thing you know, these divisions start forming around certain personalities who seem to have a unique and, and special insight into God's truth. Not too surprising, these conclusions lined up real nicely with the way they wanted to to live their life (laughs) because they came from a worldly perspective. And so Christianity was kind of turning into an a la carte line where you kind of went down the line and you picked out your favorite flavor and that's what worked for you. And you aligned yourself with that group, being led by that personality. You see, all of us understand things through a certain context of experiences. Look at verse 14 again. It says that a natural man does not accept the things of God or the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Paul is trying to explain how foolish it is to try and understand the mind of God through the wisdom of the world. And again, I want you to understand why that's the case. We all have an understanding of things through a context of our own personal experience. For example, I know what an infield fly rule is in baseball. Because I played the game of baseball. If you didn't play the game of baseball, you will have no idea what that thing means. All right? In the same way that if you were to ask me what an over was in the game of cricket, I have absolutely no idea. I have never played the game of cricket. I don't know what that term means. I don't know how it's applied because it's outside the realm of my experience, which is the very same reason that we cannot understand 
eternal truths from a worldly perspective. The only person who can understand eternal truths is the one who is eternally existing. God alone has the context of that experience to bring that understanding. You see, that's why he answered Job the way he did. You remember Job questioned God, and I can understand why. After all that he was going through, and, and, and part of what he was questioning was the fairness of God because of what was happening in his life in the world. And at one point in that dialogue, God spoke to, Mo, to uh, Job. And, and listen to what he said. Speaking to Job, he says, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements? Since you know, who enclosed the sea with doors and said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther? And there your proud waves stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or caused the dawn to know its place? You see, God wanted Job to understand that he could not understand things happening in his life outside of the eternal context that God alone can understand. Because God's actions are always set within that eternal context. They are connected to the plan that he had in place before the world began. And therefore, his purpose in our life will always, and I try to be careful when I use that term, always. I mean that term, always. Always have an eternal value. It will always be connected to a kingdom plan. What God reveals is is never isolated to the limits of this world alone. And so, we have to rely on on the Spirit, to give us an understanding of spiritual truths that are beyond our context to comprehend on our own. They exist only within the realm of God's eternal perspective. That's why spiritual truths seem foolish to the world. Because you cannot understand them from that point of view. Now look at verse 15. It says, But he who spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of God that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word appraisal that Paul uses here in verse 15 means to investigate or to examine. So what Paul is trying to help us understand here is that the person who is led by the Spirit is the only one who has the ability to investigate, to examine spiritual truths. Because they view life from an eternal perspective because of the Spirit who is at work in their life. Now, as we continue in the letter, we're going to see how Paul admonishes the Corinthians for not being spiritual. Which I believe is the reason there is so much confusion in this church. In fact, if you want to get a sneak peek at what we're going to talk about next week, you can look at chapter 3, verse 1. 
where Paul says, brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual men. You see, if they were being spirit-led, they would not have the issues in that church that Paul was writing to address. There would not be divisions. There would not be immorality. There would not be false doctrines. Because those who are walking by the Spirit live in accordance with God's will. And the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in their lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's not what's evident in the Corinthian church. Now, in verse 16, Paul finishes by making a connection to how he began this section. And he does so by intentionally making a connection with Christ. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And in that context, Isaiah is essentially asking, who knows the mind of God? Now, Paul has already answered that question in our passage, hasn't he? He says, only the Spirit knows the mind of God. And now he finishes by putting a little twist on it, and he says, but you have the mind of Christ. You see, I believe what Paul has done here is hugely significant because he has made an important Trinitarian connection between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's saying that to have the mind of Christ is to have the mind of God because they are one in the same. The life of Christ reveals what it looks like to align your life with the will of God as you walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a demonstration of the eternally existed, undivided fellowship of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think there's one important difference. And to understand that, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I think we've looked at this particular passage several times already. But what Paul says in this passage connects directly to what he writes to the Corinthians, and I want us to make that connection. So Philippians chapter 2 Verse 5, Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Paul is calling all Christians to pattern their life after the example of Christ. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying, have this attitude within yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he explains how Jesus was willingly able to set aside his divine prerogative by not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's pretty significant. Have you ever thought about that? What does that mean? That Jesus didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped? Well, I think one of the ways that that's true is that for, in order for Jesus to align his life with the will of his Father, he became dependent upon the Holy Spirit in revealing those truths to him. He set aside his divine omniscience, his all-knowing character, 
to be dependent upon the leading of the Holy Spirit to reveal to him the will of his Father, which he did. He, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the amazing statement that Paul makes in our passage, speaking to the Corinthians, but to you and I as well, is that we have been given the privilege to live in the very same way Jesus did. You have the mind of Christ. We have the, the very same access to the mind of God through the work of the Spirit to learn the eternal purposes that He has in mind for our life. So when Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative, that applies to us as well. When Jesus said, I speak the things which the Father has taught me, the same is true for you and I. When Jesus lived his life in a way that he was carrying out an earthly purpose that had a kingdom value, the same should be true for you and I. Because if our life is being led by the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so one of the ways that I think we can apply the truths of what this passage is teaching us this morning is to consider the life of Christ. Take some time this week and just peruse the book of John and look at the life of Christ and his willing obedience to the will of the Father. Look at how he loved those who rejected him. I want you to notice how he said no to some very legitimate needs. He, he didn't say yes to every need that he encountered. He actually said no to some of them. Because unless it was the will of the Father, he didn't carry it through. I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 4 and look at how he examined the temptation in the desert. My point is, I want you to take some time to examine the life of Christ. But read it from the perspective of what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. Because when you are being led by the Spirit, when you are being obedient to the will of God, you are living with the mind of Christ. So look and see what it looks like. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Pattern your life after Him, because you have the same privilege to be led by the same Spirit, to be carrying out the same will and purpose of God on this earth with an eternal value in mind. But I also want you to remember that that will only make sense if we keep that eternal perspective in mind. It's like C.S. Lewis once said, he said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. His point is, is that we have to see our life beyond the limits of this world. That's what prevents us from trying to maximize our security and comfort in this world as if this is all there is. It protects us as parents from overemphasizing the, the importance of achievement in athletics or success in academics at the expense of discipleship in our home. See, we should be preparing our kids for life in the kingdom, 
more than success in this world. But you don't get that unless you have an eternal perspective in mind given to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it helps us align our actions so that even the difference that we want to make in this world has some kind of connection to an eternal purpose of God. And most importantly, it keeps our focus on building our relationship with God, the relationship that we were ultimately, ultimately created for. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Growing in fellowship with God should be our ultimate goal in life. And once again, Jesus gives us an example of what that relationship is intended to look like. But let's be honest. Living with that understanding is a learning process, isn't it? None of us woke up one day with the mind of Christ, fully developed and, and perfectly complete. There are all kinds of examples in Scripture of, of what it looks like. The good thing is, is we have Jesus as our perfect example, and then we have Peter and Thomas and Timothy to see what it looks like to be in process. We can look at someone like Moses. If you'll remember, Moses began his journey with God with a list of questions, didn't he? God, I don't think I'm the right person for the job. God, they're not going to believe what I have to say. God, did you forget that I stutter? But God promised Moses, just like he promises you. He said these very words. He says, Moses, I want you to trust me. I will be with you. He even says, and I will be with your mouth. And I will teach you exactly what you need to say. God wanted to build a relationship with Moses just like he wants to build a relationship with you. So that you, like Moses, will grow in your faith and trust in God and come to a place as Moses did when he said, Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you. He went from questioning God to putting his trust in God. See, his relationship with God was his ultimate goal in life. And he became so dependent upon God's Spirit leading him. He actually speaks publicly in a prayer before they were headed into the promised land. And, and this is what he says. Listen closely. He says, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. In other words, God, if you're not in control, I'm not interested. If you're not in this, it's not worth doing. Let us know that your spirit is leading us, and then we will faithfully follow in obedience. And that's the heart that God wants us to have as well. He wants us to trust him enough to relinquish our own control. And let him be in control. Knowing that he sees things that we could never, ever understand on our own. He's the one that has to teach us how to view life from an eternal perspective. So to answer the question we asked in the beginning. Yes, God wants you to know what's on his mind. He wants you to know what's on his mind for you in this season of your life. 
He wants you to understand all the things that he's prepared for those who love him and who are called according to his eternal purposes. He wants you to understand that plan by living with an eternal perspective in mind. Having the mind of Christ as you walk in fellowship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is an amazing, amazing truth. And one I hope that you ponder on all week long. I hope that you can't get having the mind of Christ out of your mind. To consider the significance that you have been given the privilege to live through the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship with an eternal God. Giving you a view of things that you cannot possibly see on your own in order to fulfill His intent of kingdom values that don't just exist in the life of this world, but they always are connected to his eternal purposes in the world to come. You have been given the mind of Christ. Will you think about that this week? Will you talk about it with each other? Will you unpack exactly what that means based on what we walked through this morning? And do, go look at the life of Christ. Because I believe he intends for us, as Paul tells us, to pattern our life after that example of what it looks like to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in submission to the will of God, which is the only way you can understand what that is. Daily dependent. So that we say like Moses did, Lord, if you're not in this, I'm not interested. Show me your way. Let's pray. God, thank you for answering the hard questions in life. I suspect that that may be a question that all of us are either asking or have asked at some point in our life. Do we really have the ability to know what God has in mind for us in this season of our life? And you have told us this morning, without a shadow of a doubt, the answer is yes. You want us to know you. You want us to understand how to view life from your perspective. But in order to do so, we have to live in dependence of your spirit because the spirit is the only one who knows the thoughts of, my, in, of God, of your mind. So, Father, this week, help us to think about the significance of what has been made possible because of who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. And then may we live within the privilege of what you have given us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God unseparated from the very presence of God and dwelling our lives and leading us to fulfill eternal purposes on earth. Thank you, Father, for that truth this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.